The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. I know a lot of people think like masks are done and over, and they definitely are for a lot of us. But in terms of service industries and entertainment, like if you take an extra eye and look around, we're all wearing masks. So... Yeah, that has not ended. And I think that probably won't end anytime soon, just because we've realized these are bodies we're putting out into a stage and they're human bodies. And if we could find a way to make sure they're protected, of course, we'll do that. We love our actors. We love our performers. And it's an easy thing for us to do. Hi, I'm Janae Williams, and I'm a modern minority. Welcome to Modern Minorities. This is the show about work and life told through the lens of what makes each of us different. I'm Sharon Lee Tony, a Chinese-American girl born and raised in New York City. And I'm Raman Segal, an Indian-American boy who came from Alabama with a banjo on my knee. Through conversations with some really interesting people, we uncover the stories, perspectives, and often unspoken truths about how our guests uniquely experience the world. It doesn't matter where you're from, the color of your skin, or who you love. We're all minorities somehow, but we're no one's model minority. This is a show about all of you, for all of us. On today's show, we wanted to have another conversation about the importance of getting your updated COVID vaccine, thanks to our friends at the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services. So today I'm joined by my good pal and fellow creative marketer and creative producer, Janae Williams. I've known Janae for several years now, both in and out of the workplace, and she is certainly one of the most diverse and varied person I've ever met. And I I say that with so much inspiration. Janae grew up in New York City, and you'll hear a lot about that as we chat about her background, but she also has lived in China and in Paris. So she, she speaks at least three languages fluently. Um, she's traveled the world. And the way that she and I had crossed paths is that we had both worked in travel marketing for a little while together at the same agency. And I just always really gravitated towards her. She's just got really great energy. She's got a really great outlook. What's been interesting about Janae's both career and professional role, as well as her personal life, is that in the last three years or so during the pandemic, her career path took a kind of a shift from the travel space, which obviously was changing a lot during COVID, to now the theater space where she's a creative producer. And like many of you probably can assume, in-person events, live events, live events, performances, all of those things were highly impacted by COVID and had changed during the pandemic. And now Janae is part of the industry that is really bringing back all of those in-person entertainment experiences. So we chat a lot about Janae's own personal perspective as a Jamaican-American and what it was like growing up in various neighborhoods. But we also touch on the importance of keeping ourselves safe, the importance of Janae's role of keeping the actors safe um, who are in these theater productions, as well as keeping the audience safe with 
updated vaccines and just making sure that everybody is healthy. So I learned a lot about their own protocol of how they, how often they test for uh, COVID, how often they are uh, making sure that everybody does have the updated vaccine, as well as all the safety precautions that they take both inside the theater as well as behind the scenes. So with that, I hope you enjoy my chat with a very good friend of mine, Janae Williams. Janae, it's so great to have you on the show with us today. I'm so glad to be here. It's been such a long time since we've chatted, and I'm excited to be part of this amazing venture. Thank you. I remember when we first started this show. Oh, wow. Gosh, it's been like three years now, maybe? Yeah. Yeah. You were one of our first listeners, and you were like so supportive and so excited, and I've always appreciated that. So thank you for being one of our very first listeners. And thank you also for agreeing to talk to us today. Of course. Uh, it's basically a revamped version of Easter Rays. I'm just supporting Black folks. I'm just supporting minorities. <laughs> I'm all about this. I love that. I love that. So, Janae, the first question we ask everybody, since you are a loyal listener, is where are you from? I'm from New York. My cultural background is Jamaican. Mm-hmm. Both my parents are born in Jamaica. I'm actually the first born American in my family. So yeah, born and raised in New York. I did move to the South for high school and quickly got out the moment I was allowed to legally leave (laughs) and traveled the world a bit since then, but um, have been back in New York for, oh my goodness, five, six years now. Um, And that's been home for me. Okay. So let's back up for a second. So you were born and raised in New York. Mm -hmm. How did you end up in the South (laughs) and where in the South were you? Yeah. So... My parents were the complete stereotypical Jamaican immigrant. They moved to Jamaica, Queens um, when they had me. My dad actually came here for college. So he was here for a while. And then my mom came to New York when they got married in 91 um, and had me in 92. Mm-hmm. And yeah, most of my life was spent in Queens growing up. And there was a big wave of like post 9-11 folks moving basically due to that, like the housing bubble that happened. So a lot of New Yorkers, it was after 9-11, it was after the giant blackout of New York, we're kind of done. (laughs) And we're like, right, I could afford a four-bedroom home in Atlanta or in Tampa for half the price, sign me up. So um, that year, a lot of folks actually from my church and from my school and myself moved to major Southern cities. So we were, uh, we moved to a small town called Ocala. It's about an hour north from Orlando and had a few friends who moved to like Atlanta mm-hmm. during that time period. So yeah, they were kind of the folks moving that wave before the housing crisis happened. And yes, yeah, so I moved right when I turned 13 to Ocala, Florida, never been to the South really for a long period of time. Yeah. And yeah, it was definitely a culture shock. So, you know, being a city kid like myself, the open doors and quietness was very unnerving. But um, yeah, that's how I kind of ended up down there. What was it like there? Oh, it's it's really interesting. I think I, I actually enjoy small towns, but I, I enjoy small towns with like arts and culture. You know, like Queens is actually a pretty small town community when you live there. Everyone kind of knows of each other. But you're also in a town full of immigrants. You know, like I... Yeah. You know, no one made fun of people's accents or 
backgrounds or what their parents did because we're all kind of hustling in our own way. Moving there was very much like the awareness of where you fit and belonged in like capital A American society. You know, like I realized I, I, I used to say that I didn't realize I was black until I moved to the South. That's interesting. Yeah. I think because, you know, there's black folks everywhere in, in New York, but also my blackness was very much questioned in the South because I wasn't African-American, you know, like that was not my, yeah. and I think a lot of people in the South, it's either you're African-American or you're white. And then every once in a while, they might be, you know, an Asian person or a Latino person, but like, those are like the two specifics. Right. And when you right. didn't necessarily fell into that mode, people struggled to kind of figure out who you were. So a lot of the things I saw in TV and movies that I didn't know existed, such as like people saying, wow, you're not like every other Black person I've met or well, you're not like them or, you know, or you speak white. Like I was like, oh, this is real. Like people think this way. People believe in this. And that was a really big like shock to 13-year-old me kind of figuring herself out. Mm-hmm. And yeah, yeah, you know, I, I look back and understand like, you know, moving to a place that's safer and has more space. But I really struggled with that loss of community and identity, um, especially during a time period when being a teenager, community and identity is all you kind of think about. Totally. Yeah. I mean, 13 is such a pivotal time, right? Mm-hmm. Where you're trying to figure out where you belong and yeah. who you are and and what that all means. Mm-hmm. Did you feel like you had to do anything to conform or to fit in? Like, did you feel like you had to hide parts of yourself or to try to be somebody who maybe you really weren't? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I think I remembered someone talking about me in the high school halls and I think I had a reputation for being the snobby New Yorker. <laughs> oh. <laughs> when really it was like, I was very shy and quiet and I kind of like, it was like a dance, like a social dance. And I always felt like I was off by a beat. So I would watch people kind of perform and see how I could kind of copy that. So, you know, definitely things such as straightening my hair or trying to keep up with what people are listening to and, and watching, even though it might not be in my first choice, definitely felt like a big pressure for me to feel more palatable, I guess, you know? Yeah. Um, I think I realized there was never going to be a smooth connection between the folks that I went to school with and myself. But I think to make myself not feel or seem weird, <laughs> that was the push. I think I want to make sure that I felt like I was palatable. I was understandable. Yeah, definitely. And then you mentioned that um, you got out of there as soon as you could. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So like when was that and and what what inspired that? I mean, I'm I'm guessing just from what you're saying, you yeah. you felt you, you didn't feel like you belonged. And I'm sure that was a really stark contrast, right? Cuz your Jamaica Queens is so diverse. I mean, I'm I'm a New York baby too and like, yeah, you know, yeah. immigrant communities and Caribbean enclaves and the most amazing roti from like, you know, the corner shack like in different areas. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah, that's those are all things that you described are just such home feelings for sure. Right. And right. yeah, I, my goal was I'm going to go to New York. I'm going to go to NYU. Mom and dad will regret the day I, I left down here. Okay, full <laughs> thing. 
I had no concept of like loans or student loans. And right. remember, this is now the housing crisis. This is full yeah. grown housing crisis. Yeah. Uh, where people were going, you know, it's the first time generations of people were leaving with four-year degrees and had no jobs. Yeah. So we we decided to take a road trip up to New York, um, but on the way decided to stop and see any other schools I might fit in with what I might be interested in. I also, of course, as every immigrant kid can understand, I was very creative, very artsy, but no one in my family had like artsy degrees. It's doctors and engineers. My sister's an OBGYN. My mom taught science and math. So obviously I had to become a doctor too. So I was looking for pre-med. <laughs> and um, that has since, of course, never went past freshman year biology for pre-med. So I found a, a really great school in actually in South Carolina that was just beautiful. It was called Furman University. And I was still set for like going somewhere more north, but, you know, I was willing to throw out a, an application and they had a really cool study abroad program. And for someone like myself who I was just so, I felt so trapped in Florida. I felt like this could have been a good moment for me to, you know, study medicine and travel abroad. Um, and I got in and I actually had a lot better scholarship opportunities with that school compared to the Northeastern school. So that's how I kind of got out of Florida, but I was still very much in the South, which was funny um, enough. But that school actually provided me a huge outlet towards travel. The first opportunity actually happened before I even started college. They had a two-week free trip to China if you decide to do Chinese, Mandarin Chinese as the foreign language requirement. And I was like, sign me up. You know, I got in and did this two-week trip, which completely changed my life. I met people on that trip that I'm still friends to this day. That's amazing. Yeah. You know, one of the folks I met, she's, I'm the godmother to her child. We've been to each other's weddings. You know, we went back to China together in our junior years and yeah, that was kind of my first moment of realizing that the world beyond I can imagine could exist. And it actually taught me, you know, I had to learn how to become a really good outsider in high school and in the South. I knew that I was not going to fit in. And I kind of took that sort of life skill of being an expert outsider and really enjoyed that when I traveled, where I kind of got to live on the fringes of what happens in a society, in a language, and really appreciated that eagle eye view into a culture. And it really started my fascination with travel to a whole different degree than I ever had growing up. Yeah. And I do think also being a first-generation American also helped train me in travel. Well, you know, like, Basics, such as, of course, we all have passports at young ages because you're traveling back home every summer or something. But also, like, yep. the the feeling of I was never going to be American enough for a lot of my peers because, again, I was not African-American. And I was never going to be Jamaican enough for my family back home because I have an American accent. I grew up yeah. in the U.S. education system. You know, I had different things given to me in life than my cousins ever had. So, you know, kind of living in this place of nothingness, but also 
everything is, if that makes yeah. sense. I think yeah. also prepared me to really enjoy travel in a much more natural and fluid way than some of my other peers. That's so interesting. So, so much, so much there to reflect on. I know about your, your fascination and your love of China from a personal level, right? I know when I first met you, it was one of those things where you had mentioned that you knew Chinese and I was like, that's nice. You know, like it's one of those things where people, I mean, Mandarin is such a a universal language, especially like in academia, like people take classes, right? Like Mm -hmm. people are fascinated with that kind of stuff. And I was kind of like, oh, that's cool. She knows a couple of like key phrases. Mm -hmm. And then I think one day, I forgot exactly what it was, Janae, but like I heard you speak like a full sentence and I was like, (laughs) what on earth? Like what is, like it just blew my mind. Like it was the most unexpected thing. And then you're like, yeah, sure. And I told you, like, I spent time in China. And I was like, well, yes. But (laughs) it was like this moment of like, like, yeah, I'm like, like, you speak better Chinese than I do. (laughs) Like, this is quite embarrassing. Um, And so I want to go back to that, that moment, right? Like you were there, it was like a two week trip, you had said? Yeah. So it was a two week trip for the first time. And it was basically the first week we were based in our sister school to Fermi University, they have a really great connection with Suzhou, Suzhou Dashui, which is Suzhou University. Suzhou is a small city of a few million people right outside Shanghai. That's um, kind of known to be like the Venice of China. There's a lot of water cities and it's super cute. And that week we were paired with a roommate in the international dorms. So it was a very like quick acclamation of like, you don't speak Chinese. Oh, well, like, have you ever used a Chinese toilet? Here you go. Don't, you know, like <laughs> trying to figure out your own Chinese dorm situation. Got to learn it. Like, oh my God. Looking back, it's a little insane what they trusted with us kids. And I was 17. I wasn't even legally like an adult yet. Um, right. And then next week we had a huge tour across the country. So we hit we took planes and buses everywhere to Beijing, to Xi'an, to I think Guangzhou. So we saw all the major sites, you know, um, we saw Tiananmen Square. I, I walked the Great Wall, like things I never in my life thought I will be able to witness in my life <laughs> happened that, that week. It was kind of insane because China is a huge country. So we really racked up the miles there, but um, yeah, did that. And then they sent you home and you had a few weeks to prepare for college. Mm. Yeah. Did you feel a sense of belonging there in a foreign land? That trip, no. Okay. I think it was just so, the sensory overload happened. It didn't make yeah. me feel, that made me feel of like, oh, I don't hate school. I just hate high school. <laughs> like, interesting. And yeah. it was kind of this first look of like what adulthood could be like, which was interesting to me. And of course, you know, in China, while it's a communist country, there's a lot of freedom for foreigners. So like going from a, you know, a very contained high school environment where you ha- you're told hour by hour where you need to go and what to do, they were very much like, so in China, the big thing in high school, of course, is getting into a college. You know, there's a very important test you take. But once you get to college, it's kind of like, I wouldn't say easy because it's still like college, but 
the pressure is so different. So they gave you a lot of freedom as a university student. So I had the choice from that morning of, do I want to go to a coffee shop? Do I want to go meet up with a friend at a bar? Do I want to go to talk to my professor about what to expect at school? It was very different very quickly. Yeah. And once I started school and, you know, we were making friends, you know, we did this small, you know, no one was, not really a lot of people were taking Mandarin. That's why they did this program to help boost signup numbers. So that little community of Mandarin speakers, we did become kind of like our own quirky family. And that definitely felt like the sense of community started with that. Yeah. And we're like now an intermediate Mandarin. We finished our required language, so we don't have to take any more. But um, our professor, who we basically, you know, we went to China with him. He's like our dad. Said like we have an opportunity to go to China again for a full semester and a little bit of the summer, so around six months. Wow! It will really help out his colleague who's who needs to finish his thesis, mm-hmm. but he needs to. He, the only way for him to get there is if he had X amount of students with him to do a research trip. So he said, if you do it, I'll cover your, you know, your required history basis, uh, another requirement I need to have anyway. And I was like, sure. And I was looking up other programs like in Europe and we realized what was really helpful. You know, the, the tuition that you paid for transfers over to that university Mm-hmm. So I was actually making money existing and studying in China because of the UN dollar. Was oh. So, you know, the dollar is so strong. So my friends right. who were studying abroad in the UK were like losing money just existing there. Like they had to take up more to. Right. Because tuition was more expensive. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. And, you know, I had if we, you know, we planned a trip with our friends in Shanghai for a national holiday break. What we did was. We just only ate dorm food, which was like, okay. It was actually yeah. pretty decent, but like a cup of kanji in the morning was maybe 50 cents. Um, noodles and bok choy was maybe a dollar. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, Love it. like hot, you know, um, soy milk that we had in the afternoon, 25 cents. So like by the end of the day, we're, we saved enough money to like afford a hotel room for us. You know, like it was really fun. The opportunities we got to kind of enjoy because of having much more financial freedoms at like 20 years old. So that's so awesome. Yeah. That's so, so awesome. You kind of, you started to talk a little bit about what you studied and and all of that. Yeah. Growing up, it sounds like mom and dad thought you'd be a doctor or you thought you'd have to be a doctor, (laughs) right? Yeah. Like, did you want to be a doctor though? Or was there some other, did you have other aspirations? So growing up, I was very artistic. I remembered I was given a certain amount of pocket money to get snacks at the bodega. It's such a New York thing. Yeah. And what I did, because I wanted more snacks, but it was only so much money, I would make portraits of my friends and sell it for a quarter and like had enough quarters to buy the cookies I like at the bodega. So <laughs> <laughs> you were such an entrepreneur at a young age. Yeah, exactly. But yeah, I think my family, they, I would, like to say, if my parents listen to this, they were never the type of immigrant parents to push of like, you have to be a lawyer or a doctor and that's it. Mm -hmm. They were very much like, you have to go to college. You have to be the most educated person of whatever you choose to do. So if you choose to become 
something in construction, go to construction school, go to a, to a trade school. You know, like they just want to make sure you were very well educated because my family got to this country through education, through college, you know? Right. But yeah, I had an aunt in Jamaica who was an artist and my, one of my grandparents, he was a photographer. Mm-hmm. But outside of that, there wasn't really anyone who could tell me what careers to do in the arts. So I just followed along what I saw around me, which was, again, I knew I was, I was terrible at math. So engineering was out of the question. <laughs> and I enjoyed right. biology and I enjoyed like the more visual sciences. So I was like, I guess I'll do medicine. And I actually enjoyed medicine. Um, I was in a program in high school that we worked at the hospital. We had to finish these certain amount of medical credits. And then after you could take a test to become a certified nurse assistant. So I had like pretty, you know, not hands-on, but like hands-on for a 15, 16-year-old of what to kind of expect. And when I went to China, I was wondering maybe I could do something in research with traditional Chinese medicine, maybe, or I was very interested in different cultures and their ways of preventive medicine, such as ginger root in Caribbean countries is used a lot, and turmeric. So I was trying to like make medicine creative somehow. That was like my way of, yeah, can I do something like this instead? And yeah, as I referenced earlier, Biology for for science majors broke me. Like something that I enjoyed was just, you know, I was struggling so much in that class. And I would be up till 3 a.m. I've never done all-nighters in, in high school. I was an A-plus student in high school. But like, you know, I it wasn't easy. I had to really work for it. But this was like really working for like a passable grade. Right. And I realized it had to end was my mental health breaks was me doing Chinese studies. I was like, I'm overwhelmed. So I'm just going to study Mandarin for an hour instead. (laughs) And my roommate's like, this is insane. Why are you studying a language doesn't even have like letters in it as your way to decompress? And I was like, right, this is the way my brain works, you know? And I realized like, let's take a step back here and let me just start taking classes I actually really enjoy mm-hmm. and see where that goes. So um, I ended up majoring in art history. My focus was trying to you know, work in museum studies or work in an art gallery or marketing for arts. And, you know, I did a lot of work locally with some um, museums, some art festivals. And then because of my time in China, when I came back, you know, I was studying also Chinese art history when I was in China for my art history credit. And then, you know, my Chinese professor sat me down and said, you are one credit away from a full major. Like, do you just want to major in Chinese? And I was like, I, this has never been the plan. Like this has been my way of decompressing again. (laughs) Like, (laughs) right. And so I ended up with a double major in art history and Chinese studies at the end of my time in university. That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. And now a word from our sponsor, the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services. You know, Remen, we love all of our sponsors equally, but we love some of them more equally. Why is that, Sharon? Well, Remen, what better message than the entire team at Modern Minorities reminding you, our listeners? I think you mean our super sophisticated, ever charming, and always good looking listeners. But of course. 
What better message than to remind you to make time for your health so you don't lose time for the things you love? That's right. And there's no better way to do that than getting your updated COVID vaccine. An updated COVID vaccine restores protection that has decreased over time, including protection against severe illness, hospitalization, and the worst effects of COVID. If your last COVID vaccine or booster was before September 2022, it's time for an updated vaccine. You know, now that the holidays are over, we're back to work and back to play. So we've got to protect ourselves as well as our friends and family. Yeah, I mean, I've got to go see all my spring superhero movies, no matter how good or bad they are. Oh, those are pretty important. And all my nerdy journalist talks at the local library. Uh, sure. What about stand-up comedy shows? Yeah, those are key. <laughs> Laughter is the best medicine. I mean, after vaccines. And you know what else having your latest COVID vaccines makes safe and possible? What's that? How about fancy dinner date nights with your partner when the kids are home with a babysitter? Does the babysitter also have their updated vaccine? Of course they do. Duh. <laughs> well, then, yeah, those date nights are totally clutch and would not be possible if it weren't for all of us having our updated vaccines. And don't forget the ever important trips to visit grandparents, uncles and aunties so that you can enjoy home cooked mom dishes that you don't have to cook. <laughs> That's right, Sharon. <laughs> Not cooking a home-cooked meal at home is key and made possible when we all have our updated COVID vaccines. COVID is still serious stuff, so we've all got to do everything we can to keep ourselves and the people we love safe. Find updated COVID vaccines at vaccines.gov. We can do this. Paid for by the U.S. Department Did of Health Did you Health pursue anything in the arts after professionally? And now, back to our show. I, so I... Once I graduated, I had no idea what I was going to do. Again, there was no one to kind of help guide me. And I didn't want to stay in South Carolina. So I found a lot of degrees or opportunities working in like agencies for museums and, and art festivals. So I was thinking of doing something in branding and marketing because I felt like there was more room for me to to grow and financially grow. Right. With the Chinese, I wondered, like, this could be an opportunity to do something international marketing, like for the arts and work at an international arts festival. So I instead of having, like, work experience, again, as an immigrant kid, I was like, let's do more school and do grad school instead. <laughs> and I applied for grad school degrees that had opportunities for me to do branding, to do marketing, to do advertising. And I landed on American University of Paris. The degree I decided to do is global communications with a focus in visual material culture, which is a very, very, very long phrase to say I studied branding. <laughs> it sounds so advanced and sophisticated. Right. Every time I sing it, I'm just like, oh my God. Um, but yeah, <laughs> I, I did that. And I also, by the end, I was a little China'd out um, naturally. Like, yeah. Again, so much of my time in college was because you know, it's, it's just, it's very unfair sometimes when I look back of like, we asked so much for 17, 18 year old kids. There's a lot of kids at that age who knew ex exactly what they wanted to do. Right. Like my sister from a, the get go will always want to be a doctor, became a doctor, has no other like life plans except for becoming a doctor. Right. That's great. No. But for me, it was like, I did school and I had no idea. So, and I didn't expect to be in Asia. I thought if I was studying the arts, I should be somewhere in Europe. So that itch never really went away. So 
you know, the degree program was to help figure out what I wanted to do. And also, the, again, that travel itch was coming back, but I just didn't want to go back to Asia at that point. So I moved to Paris with some basic foundation in, in French. I took one class at college just to get myself a foundation. I've taken French before. I took it in uh, middle school here in New York. So I had, again, elementary amount. And I, I think it was a little cocky, too, of like, I'm speaking Mandarin. This is going to be child's play. It's nothing. Right. And yeah, so I did that um, and was in the program. It was just under two years. And that allowed me to kind of see what I could do with that degree. And that's how I first worked at, a, at an ad agency. Um, I worked at BBDO Proximity Paris um, my last uh, few months there. You and I have such similar um, career paths, right? <laughs> like advertising, marketing, <laughs> all of those things. I... I studied abroad in Paris for a month, so I have like a sliver of your experience. You definitely had a much more robust Paris experience than I did, but that sounds that sounds amazing. And so that's how you landed your role doing what you do now. Yeah. So when I went there, as you know, anyone could tell you, if you're going to move to France to learn French, don't move to Paris. They're they <laughs> Hate your existence just by the idea. They just uh, like, and then I ended up hating America just because they hated America. It was just a lot of, right. (laughs) It was very though, like pull you up by the bootstraps. Like that will teach you how to become an adult quickly. Yeah. And I tried to work at different art, you know, establishments there. I worked at one art uh, startup, but it was never an environment that was good for, teaching others and being open and being um, welcoming. So that didn't last very long. And I was really stuck of like, what am I supposed to do? Again, like I just don't, no one was there who could help me out. I was constantly looking for someone to like ask for advice of what to do. And our counselor there said, we have a lot of good feedback from this ad agency. And I was like, I've never worked at an advertising agency. That's just like a standard you know, consumer products was a big thing for them. And that was never something I imagined. Um, the account was for Procter & Gamble. Yep. And I helped the accounts team. We managed all of Europe. So from Turkey all the way to the Nordics in UK, we handled their online website, marketing, different life cycles. So they had one for women who were uh, mothers to adults. We had one for parents of children in diapers, all those life stages in between. Mm -hmm. And that really taught me, you know, website design, building, account management, client relationships, because, uh, you know, I'm talking to clients in different time zones and different cultures throughout the day. Because it's so French, they just didn't, they were like, you know, one, France has a rule basically that you can't just have unpaid internships. It's considered to be, you know, slavery, which is true. (laughs) So they don't treat you as coffee runners. They treat you as like, you'll be eventually like a baby account coordinator. Right. So I had a lot of freedom to kind of make client relationships and learn about that. So I really enjoyed like, oh, I loved working with the UK teams. The Spanish teams need eight like heads up and circle backs to get 
a meeting on time, you know, the, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> all those like client cultural nuances. Yeah. I finally learned that there and it was very much like a big learning for me in my professional life. That's fascinating that you just linked cultural behaviors and differences. Oh, yes. To, yeah, to managing, just managing workplace dynamics and managing relationships. Yeah. You're totally right. Yeah. So when I was about to graduate, I had one lecturer who was visiting who I really enjoyed her class. It was travel PR. Mm-hmm. And she said, like, you know, I know you're going to go back to New York. I will write you a rec- letter recommendation. Try out this agency called MMGY. It's the biggest travel agency in America right now that's super big in communications. Um, but we only have a spot in social media. She goes, it's the future of communications. It's social media. And I was like, really? You know, this is still the time where everyone's posting only to Facebook. Like Instagram is still very fresh. Yeah. And I applied and got in. And that's how I kind of got into travel and hospitality marketing, which is how we met a different agency, but still that's sort of the same world. Yeah. And you've, you've kind of moved on from that a little bit, right? Like I know you're like, you went from being more of like an account person. So now it seems like you're doing more creative production and content creation. Is that? Yeah. So, you know, always in the back of my head was you have an art degree what are you going to do with this? Um, yeah. I still was really missing that space. You know, like these, the jobs I had gave me some, you know, freedom, such as, you know, client communications to practice my international side and some creative ideas, such as writing, you know, content or building a content scheduling plan and finding photos. But I just felt like there's still something missing. So, during the pandemic, I was freelancing a lot, which is how we worked together mm-hmm. and you know, looking for a full-time job. And I had a friend of mine who owns a social media agency focused in Broadway shows. And he was looking for folks who weren't necessarily from that world, but want to join for a fresher insight, um, you know, when putting together content and ideas. So yeah, I've been working there now for just over a year. And and I'm a creative producer. So what I do is organize video and photo shoots with our clients. I put together creative briefs, get those approved, um, set up the schedules day of. So it's a lot of left, right brain in terms of organization, but also creativity. You know, I do plan travel to shoots all across the States. Um, We've gone all the way to California. So I'm planning out those shoots. So it's using a lot of my travel expertise to kind of get those deals in place, get the budget approved, as well as my right brain of like, what's the whole concept of this shoot? What's our goal? What's the, what's going to push us to become a Webby Award uh, recipient that's different that's happening right now? So it's really fun being able to kind of use my brain and my experiences in a completely different way. Yeah. And it, it just, I think everything that I've done this past 15 years finally makes sense to where I am right now. That's so great. Yeah. I love that. And and as you know, this this chat is sponsored by the Department of Health and Human Services and mm-hmm. you know, one thing that we're all trying to do is remind everybody to get their updated vaccines and to stay healthy and to stay safe. Mm-hmm. And I'm just curious to know like especially cuz you started a lot of this type of work during the pandemic. Yeah, yeah. And you love travel and your you know, your role is one where you are 
like literally like meeting people in, in person. Like a lot of what I do is in front of a computer still on Zoom, but yeah. your role, like you're on set, you're at the shoots. Talk to us about how you've been able to stay healthy in these ways and mm-hmm. and how you keep yourself and your community safe when it comes to just being the most up-to-date on on vaccines and, and health information. A hundred percent. You know, I think I was in an interesting position where I was still in the travel world when the pandemic broke out. You know, yeah. my clients in Hong Kong were like, buckle up, something's weird happening. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I had kind of like this heads up, you know, into what was happening. I think a little bit earlier than the average American. I don't even know how that was going to pan out, but the moment that vaccines became available in New York to my age group and where it was health-wise, I, I cried because I was so limited of like my people experience, my travel experience was nothing. It's so, so much my identity, you know, right, especially right. in New York where no one moves to New York to hang out in their, in their apartments all day. Like <laughs> you're in New York because you're, you're out in the world, you're buying the airports to go somewhere. So exactly. when I got my vaccine, it was like a whole new chapter of my life unfolded. You know, I was finally able to travel abroad for the first time when I landed in London and I was kissed the ground of like, I'm no longer <laughs> on American soil. <laughs> and yeah, like in the Broadway community, we take it super seriously. It's something I'm really actually fascinated to, to learn and promote, you know, because I work so closely with actors who, if they get sick, like it's not just their lives, but like the whole show that is impacted. So yeah, we still to this day test every time we enter the theater. Um, we have to take a, an antigen test. We have to have N94s and 95s. I, on average, I take about four to five COVID tests a week. It's wow. just part of our lives. Um, and I think a lot of people in the entertainment industry have a very vast knowledge now on contact tracing and, you know, staying safe for flu season and just because it impacts our art, it impacts our work. So yeah. I'm forever grateful for the science community for giving my life back and whatever it takes. Like if there's another updated version of um, the vaccine this year, I'm the first one online. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that's, you know, one thing that was on a lot of our minds, mine included, was coming back together for big events, right? So you're talking about the Broadway community. I mean, that's before COVID, being in an enclosed space with hundreds of people in a theater yeah. was normal. Yeah. And then for about years, that just didn't happen anymore. Mm-hmm. And are you seeing are you seeing things kind of return to where they were? Are you seeing that maybe seats aren't as getting filled as often because folks are still a little tentative? Like, what does that look like for you, typically? Yeah, that's a great question. It's wild. Like, the day before, like, the day New York shut down, I had a ticket to see Six, the musical, which I was at. And I just, like, packed extra hand sanitizer. I was, like, <laughs> so naive <laughs> to what was happening. So that the last thing I did before the pandemic was see a Broadway musical. And I would say last year, I would be, I was really concerned about that, especially since the average ticket goer is still an older Right. Demographic. Yep. Nowadays, though, I, I feel super confident and comfortable the way we are right now as an industry. We have a lot of people who are back and tourists are back and excited to see the shows we have. Um, we have a lot of joyous shows right now in Broadway that are just like, 
I think people want to see joy. I think people want to yeah. see, want to escape, you know, and there's just nothing like seeing something live happening in front of you that makes you feel alive. I think the idea of aliveness is very much something we don't take for granted anymore. So yeah, I think we're back now as we were pre-pandemic, but the way we view art is I think a little bit changing just because we're just so much more appreciative of what it comes with and what it comes with the cost when we don't have the chance to see it. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. It's like, it's similar to, you know, you worked in two industries that were so deeply impacted, travel and theater. And we definitely saw the resurgence of travel last year, right? It's like everyone was just booking vacations Mm -hmm. or Mm -hmm. booking like last holiday season. There was a lot of buzz and everyone was just going home as much as they could Mm -hmm. uh, because that was the first time for a lot of people that they hadn't seen their families in years. And definitely now for entertainment and theater and performance art, like live, live theater and live shows, I think are having their moment as well. And I didn't, I actually had no idea that you guys on Broadway or in the theater community were still so stringent with adhering to some of these practices. Like the fact that you guys are testing four and five times a week is really awesome. And, Mm -hmm. and so the masks and stuff, that's probably just during rehearsals, right? Obviously when they're on stage, yeah, right now we um, masks are optional for all audience uh, audiences, you know, coming in. Mm-hmm. Um, for us working capturing content, we are still required to wear N94s, 95s, interesting, including anyone backstage um, who aren't part of the the cast. We all wear N94s, 95s. So, mm-hmm. you know, I know a lot of people think like masks are done and over, and they definitely are. For I think. A lot of us, but in terms of service industries and entertainment, like if you take an, an extra eye and look around, we're all wearing masks. So, right. Yeah, that has right. not ended. And I think that probably won't end anytime soon, just because I think we've realized, you know, these are bodies are putting out into a stage and they're human bodies. And if we could find a way to make sure they're protected, of course we'll do that. We love our actors, we love our, our performers. And it's, you know, an easy thing for us to do. Yeah, I love that. And you're probably also thinking about protecting the audience members too, right? It's like mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so many, definitely the actors, because the show, the show can't go on without the actors. I mean, yeah. you're supposed to make the show go on, but like <laughs> yeah. your actors are your actors, but it's also so many people coming in and out of the house every night as well and yeah. people traveling from all over. So I think to your point, I feel like the more we can all be aware of updated vaccines, it's very similar to, you know, I often talk about the flu shot, right? It's like, yeah, yeah, you've gotten your flu shot, but every year it's great to get that updated. And so same thing with the COVID vaccine. They are updating this now. I think it's every year, every six months. And so being able to see that to keep yourself safe is really important. Yeah, exactly. You know, I'm still the one like, I travel now. I wore my mask on the plane. I'm not sure if you've seen that Naomi Campbell video that was viral before the pandemic, how she like wipes down the chairs. Yeah, I did. <laughs> I feel like I tap into my inner Naomi every time I like travel. Again, like it just goes back to like, I know life before this, I can't go back. So, <laughs> right, right. Yeah, yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. I love that. So, I have a special speed round for you today. Love it's it. It's going to be pandemic kind of themed and related because so much of what you've done really kind of overcoming the way the world has shifted, right? Yeah, yeah. So, Are you ready for speed round, Janae Williams? I, I don't think I ever will be, but let's go. <laughs> <laughs> 
Let's go. All right. What's one thing that you didn't expect to happen about your work in the last two years? Mm, how it could be so remote hmm. and online. Yeah. 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 Same. And and yet, like, relationships are still pretty strong. Yes, you know? exactly. Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, I haven't been in the same room as you in what years? years? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like thinking about it. Like it's been more than three or four years, yes. I think, since we sat in the same room together. And yet yeah. I feel like I'm just chatting with you. Exactly. Like I saw you yesterday. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, what is a book, movie, or television show with characters that you relate to that helps you to get through the pandemic? Oh, that helped me get through the pandemic. Mm-hmm. Um I watched so much things during the break. I was thinking about like what really stood out to me. I think, and we will lighthearted with this. I definitely bit, so I, I've never been someone who watched reality TV. Yeah. I, to this day, have never watched one episode of Keeping Up the Kardashians. And I'm just going to see how long ago with that. <laughs> or surprised about that. I'm just like, I just don't have time. And I, I read really heavy books and I watch really intense TV, but. My husband and I end up watching Love is Blind during the pandemic and we yeah. become so hooked to it. Like we follow them all on social media. Um, we watch the reunions. We just get into it. It was like the perfect escapism during the pandemic. And I think it helped us not take life as seriously, you know, since yeah. we we're very, you know, he's also in theater. So we're always, you know, watching or listening to very intense art. And that was a very nice relief through the days. That's great. I feel like so many reality shows got a lot of eyeballs in the last couple of years. Like I also was never, mm-hmm. I was not a big reality show watcher either. And I was totally like, oh, I'm never going to watch Keeping Up With The Kardashians. When when the Kardashians, the Hulu version came out. You see, it gets to people. Yeah. I've, mm-hmm. I, I, I've watched both gateway drug now. The full Kardashian yeah. family. I know. <laughs> I feel like I'm friends with Kim. Like, I feel like, you know, like, I I feel like I'm part of their crew. Parasocial, like, parasocial is like, a concept and name has grown tremendously because of the <laughs> pandemic, for sure. <laughs> it's so true. Now that we can travel, and mm-hmm. because of vaccines, thankfully, mm-hmm. where is one place that you'd want to return to for either work or for family? Oh, um, I could actually answer this easily. My husband has never been to France, and mm, I, yeah. you know, of course, I have, we haven't touched upon like my time in France, but it was so different, you know. And I, I kind of left in an interesting mental space, not to get too dark, but like I was there during the November terrorist attacks and just like a lot was happening mental health wise. You know, this was the first country I lived by myself and really became a full adult. So for our honeymoon, we're doing the South of France and then going to Italy for a few days. So all in the South Mediterranean side. And I'm just so excited to like use my French again yeah, and introduce him to like parts of the culture that are just so hard to describe without experiencing it. So. So great. Mm -hmm. Last question. What does being a vaccinated modern minority mean to you? Oh, a vaccine modern minority. I'm going to support my somehow cousin, uncles, friends, family who are all doctors. (laughs) We can't shame the doctors, of course. Believe in medicine. (laughs) It goes hand in hand. 
<laughs> I love that. Especially if you didn't, if you yourself had, are not the doctor in the family, oh, right? Yes. Listen to the experts no, honestly, in your family. I just shame you. Someone will shame you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's perfect. Well, Janae, this was so much fun. I mean, we've, you know, you and I chat about other things and it's like, yeah. it's such a, it's such a gift to be able to spend this time to, to get to know you in a better way. So thank you so, so much for, for sharing your story with us, for talking to me about vaccines and for doing all the things that you're doing out there. Thank you. It's an honor to be part of this. And thanks to our sponsor, the Department of Health and Human Services. Modern minorities would like to remind you to make time for your health so you don't lose time for the things you love. An updated COVID vaccine restores protection that has decreased over time, including protection against severe illness, hospitalization, and the worst effects of COVID. If your last COVID vaccine or booster was before September 2022, it's time for an updated vaccine. Find updated COVID vaccines at vaccines.gov. We can do this. Thank you for listening. And that's our show. Like what you heard? Please subscribe, leave a review, and a five-star rating on your favorite podcasting platform. Now more than ever, people need to be hearing these stories. Please share our show with a friend or three. Want to learn more or got something to share? Visit modmypod.com or email us. Hi, mom, at modmypod.com. You can also follow us on Instagram and Twitter at modminpod. We'd love to hear from you. That's it for now. I've been Roman Segel. And I'm still Sharon Lee Tony. Remember, we're all modern minorities out there. We'll talk to you soon. It is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.